relating it back to the beginning about being a man and about what we need to be fulfilled. And it is about suffering. It is about succeeding. It is about competing. You know, it is about all those things. We can't just, you know, I've done it a lot. I've laid on the beach with pretty women and it gets very old, very quick. I need to build something. I need to do bold perceptions. I need to play football. I need to be part of a team and and win and, and beat other people. Like that's what's in my blood. It's what my ancestors did. My ancestors came over on a fucking boat, went into Ellis Island. A lot of them died from Ireland. Uh, a little boy that ended up getting sent to the reservation. He grew up in a fucking teepee until he's 40 years old. Now look at me. Now I'm traveling the world, doing whatever the fuck I want because my ancestors built all this stuff for me. They allowed me to get to this point to do all this and, and see all this. So we're missing that in the USA right now. And I think we need shit like this and people like, uh, you know, even the Andrew Tate, if people don't like him, we need that pendulum to swing to get dudes to stop being bitches because that's what they're being. They're being little girls. They want everything handed to them. And what do you mean? You should come over and fuck me because uh, I'm me. No, you need to be someone to get fucked. Come on. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm getting ranty right now. Too many Spanish beers. Cleopatra, where is she? Uh, well, nobody knows. Somewhere in the south, we believe. He lies. They have her. This dispute between you both must end. Rome desires Egypt be at peace. Your grain ships must keep sailing. We are in absolute control of the country, from the lighthouse to the cataracts. Good. In that case, you should have no trouble in handing over Pompey Magnus. I do not like his tone. You can go. Master, do you remember what we spoke of before? Of crocodile and fox? Well, let us show him our surprise. All right, go on. Show him. <clears throat> we have a gift for you, glorious excellency, that we think you will be very pleased with. Going to make him a body and moving arms and legs and do a mime show with real animals and everything. Silence! Shame on the house of Ptolemies for such barbarity. Shame. You are enemies. He was a consul of Rome! To die in this sordid way, quartered like some low thief. Shame! Where is the rest of him? It, uh, he has been cremated. With all proper funeral rites, of course. With all decorum. I shall return tomorrow, at which time you will give me the man that took Pompey's life. Buenos dias, back in bold. Got uh, a rival I just played against. Um, we got uh, a little ass whooping. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But uh, what I really respected about you is that through all the drop passes, through all the scrambling, through all the shit you had to go through in that game to keep going, to keep pushing and not bitch. And and uh, I saw that to the game. I said, damn, you know, I, I respect that. That's what a leader is. That is what a QB is, especially someone that comes over to a foreign world with, you know, foreigners and you're expected to be the man. And when shit's hitting the fan, who's going to get the blame? You know, you're going to get the blame, but you kept your head up and, and you were moving. And it's CJ Fowler. I know you've kind of found my Instagram page and you were kind of like, oh, this this lifestyle overseas is, is kind of unique. And uh, 
that's what I really want to talk to you about is how has your journey so far been um, in Europe? Uh, thank you for having me on, first and foremost. Uh, but as far as the, the journey, I mean, it's, it's unlike anything I would have thought it was. I started off in Poland, so I came over in late May, uh, like May 26th, May 27th to the Tihit Falcons. So Tihit, Poland, uh, it was a place I'd never heard of. Uh, I told my people about it and they were like, but wait, like you're so close to the war going on over there and are you going to be safe? And, uh, you know, eventually I, I had a coach that was like, it's it's almost like the drug war that goes on in Mexico and you guys live in the U.S. Like if, if it bleeds over into Poland, the whole European Union is involved and then now it's world war. Uh, so once they said that, I went ahead and went over to Tihe, and um, it was a pleasant surprise, to say the least. I mean, it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. The only thing I knew about Poland was uh, that Warsaw was a camouflage on Call of Duty. Like, that was that was really it. I, I thought it was real military. Um, but, I mean, the people were unbelievably polite. Uh, the hospitality that they, they showed was... You know, I have nothing but respect, appreciation, love for Poland. Uh, the women, the food, the art, the the forest, like nature. It was all it was all present, um, and you know I loved it. Uh, we played you guys. I got there for the last four games, uh, put up some numbers, uh, and then I got picked up by a team in Berlin, and that was uh, that's where I am now. I will say I enjoyed Poland a lot more than Berlin. I mean, in, in Poland, in Poland, they have us or they had me living in a hotel. So that that's lovely. There's not much you have to worry about living in a hotel. And then my contract allowed for two free meals a day. Uh, and then I signed a deal with a local burger bar. So I was getting 50 percent off there. Uh, and I mean, the cost of living, the cost of food, the cost of everything in Poland was super cheap like i i thought europe was going to be more expensive uh you know that that's my ignorance coming from the u.s but um you know it was super cheap i'm getting you know uh at a burger bar i'm getting two patties bacon egg cheese fries on you know on a burger for four bucks it's hard to beat that um and you know i, I loved it out there for sure yeah 100 i just did a podcast recently with um uh, a Polish girl from a small village near Bialystok. And I was going over, you know, my stereotypes of what I thought Poland was going to be like, and everything was shattered for sure. I think Poland is, I've been to, you know, a decent amount of places and I can't think of a place that has these three things. Okay. It's safe. It's clean. It's super cheap. And there's beautiful girls everywhere. I mean, yeah. usually if you get a super cheap place, you're, you got to watch out on the street, you're going to get robbed or, you know, there's some bad crime going on, but Poland so ridiculously safe. Like I felt like uh, before this, I was in Brazil, right? You know, mm. I was looking over my shoulder, and if I saw two dudes on a, a moped or a bike, I you know I'm ready to to take off, right? But here, yeah. I had I had no freaking worry whatsoever. But what's interesting coming from your perspective, because you know my roommate Elvin, black dude, right? And Bialystok has been known for um, you know racism, LGBTQT stuff, and whatnot. And you know from what, the conversations we had, and I lived with him everything was smooth sailing for him too. Is that the similar uh, thing that happened with you? Cause you know, you're mixed, right? Yeah. Uh, so my mom is white. My dad is black. Um, obviously I give off the black appearance, but 
I didn't really run into any trouble in Poland. If anything, I feel like I got showed even more love, at least from the women. I mean, I didn't pay much attention to the men because I'm not into that kind of thing. I know some people are. Um, but the women, it's like uh, they treat you like the prize. And that was something I appreciated, especially coming from the U.S., uh, which is this asinine fallacy that women are the catch and we you need to just accept me as I am and I'm worth the best men in the world because I'm me. When in reality, uh, I feel like, you know, you're chasing what the man has to offer. You're chasing security. You're chasing his last name. And that's something that I really felt in Poland. Like women will come up to you and, you know, present themselves and, you know, make you feel like you're the man. The narcissistic epidemic in the USA for women is extreme. Obviously men too. I think America... Uh, the biggest pro and its con is its delusional delusionalism. It's the reason we do so many great things. It's the reason that for a lot of parts of our society, it's shit or we're overweight or, you know, we're the laughingstock of, of many other countries. But I definitely agree with you. The, the, the way it feels right and normal is similar to Poland, that more traditional mindset where the dude is the prize. That doesn't mean, you know, you can walk over, the Polish girls, right? They'll put their right. foot down. Like you need to respect them and, and whatnot, but it is so much more healthier. It feels like when you're dating in those kind of environments. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So what was your story? So coming out of college, I know you were in Mississippi Valley state and how did you end up overseas? And you know, why did you decide to make this jump? Cause a lot of people are given, you know, these kind of opportunities, but they're like, Okay, is there football over there? Is it good? You know, this is away from home. I, I'm all by myself. So what made you kind of make this jump? Uh, so a little bit about my journey. <clears throat> so coming out of high school, I went to Mississippi Valley State, as you said. I was 17 years old. Uh, I have no family in Mississippi. I don't know anything about the state other than it's super racist. So, you know, I mean, it has a Confederate flag and it's state flag. So um, you know, I make this huge jump at 17 somewhere where I'm completely away from home. Uh, I don't know anybody. I, mom and dad aren't there to hold my hand. No friends, no nothing. I don't even know anything about the school. Um, and I feel like I, sp I spent two years there and I feel like it really prepared me um, to just kind of take a leap of faith. And uh, I think when you don't have anybody to lean on, it forces you to look inward and learn about a lot about yourself. And so during that time, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, reworking paradigms and, and noting emotional triggers that I had and, you know, just really, really looking inward at the things that I had been taught as a child um, and things that I needed to work on if I wanted to go further in life or, or be open to more experiences. Uh, so I spent two years there uh, and then I made a decision that I just wanted to be pushed more in the classroom. Uh, I mean, I was taking 19 hours a semester, but I'm in classes like swim and dance and rhythms. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a criminal justice degree and I'm taking these kind of classes. And so at the end of my four years, uh, I wanted to feel like, you know, I really earned my degree. I can look up at that piece of paper and say, you know, I worked for that. I learned something rather than doing swim classes. And I've been able to swim since I was a toddler. Right. Um, and so I, I left there. I went to Western New Mexico. Uh, I spent uh, two years there, played my junior year, 
had a, a stellar season, didn't get to play my senior year because of the scamdemic. Uh, and then um, I follow, I ended up following, we got a, a coaching change. Uh, that coach said, look, you'll never play another snap here again. You're not one of my guys. You're the, you're the seventh string quarterback. I'll put a receiver in before I put you in uh, and said, I, I said, okay. I followed my old offensive coordinator to where he went, uh, played my first two games over there, picked up where I had left off my junior year. And then I had some things happen and uh, the game of football got taken away from me. Uh, and so, I mean, that was completely life-changing for me as far as perspective goes. Uh, my physical, my mental, my spiritual, everything was all tested during that time. Um, and then rather than sitting at home this off season, so that was fall of 22, uh, rather than sitting at home this summer, uh, my friend actually signed with an ELF team. And he was like, bro, you need to get on this platform. You need to get on Euro players and, and find a team. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kept putting them off, putting them off. And finally, I was just like, you know what? It's better than sitting at home on the couch. Like, I'm not, I'm not gaining anything by doing this. Um, let me go see what the world has to offer. Like, I want to travel. I want to play football. And this can combine the two. So let me just, let me see what it's doing. And it just so happened that Tihi, I only had to play three games and maybe a potential playoff game. Uh, so it was a, it was a quick fielder outer for me kind of thing. So I took that opportunity and, and man, uh, I haven't looked back since. Yeah, that's trippy. We talked to a lot of the same teams. I talked to the Mississippi Valley State uh, uh, when I was in JUCO and then Western New Mexico, too. They both had decent offenses throwing the ball downfield. Um, yeah. What is it you think about? Uh, so you said you uh, weren't playing ball. You went through whatever you went through. And you said you're kind of having like what you say, identity crisis type deal where your whole life has been kind of like I'm the man, the QB. And now who am I? And I got to find myself. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um... I feel like I come from humble beginnings, so it wasn't so much of I'm the man, I'm the QB, but in the sense, uh, I feel like as a child, uh, I grew up understanding, like I felt my, my parents' love most when I was succeeding in football. Uh, I grew up in a split household or two-parent, you know, they were separate households, things like that. Uh, and so I saw sports as a way to bring my parents peace. I knew that they wouldn't argue. They wouldn't fight. Um, my car rides home would be so much more pleasant if I just performed at a high level. And so looking back on it, this is 22 year old me talking, not 17 year old me talking. It took a long time for me to realize this, but I realized I had assumed that my worth as a human uh, had come from the way that I performed in sports. And so when that was taken away from me, it was like, you know, n people aren't reaching out anymore. Uh, I got kicked out of where I was staying. Um, like, so the things that you thought were like, yes, this is, these things will last, last a lifetime, get taken away from you. And then the people go with it. And it's like, wow, who are you really? And I think, I'm not going to necessarily say that's a bad thing, but I think as a man in society, regardless of the country or the city or wherever you are, I think your, your love is based on what you can provide. And that's always, it, it, it's absolutely conditional. Um, and so you have to figure out if I can't provide something physically, what can I provide someone mentally 
or spiritually um, that will show them my worth. And I think that was something I learned through, you know, just experience in a book called Tribe by Sebastian Younger um, that, you know, society, I mean, really the book talks about how war gives people a sense of purpose, a sense of community um, and everyone that depression and things of that nature go down when people are giving given an assignment and something to do where they can prove their worth to other people. And so, uh, you know, during that period, that was something that I had to do. Um, and I think it, it made me a better person because of it. And I think, uh, you know, that that'll take me further than my body will, because at some point that'll that'll deteriorate. Yeah, there's no question men live in a merit-based uh, society. I mean, obviously, if you are lucky and you have a family, they can love you unconditionally. I mean, unless you're just a total fuck-up. But, you know, if they're good people, they'll still always, you know, have your back and whatnot. But those are good points. I mean, do, would you get into, like, Kevin Samuels or the Red Pill kind of sphere after you read this Tribes book? Because a lot of uh, what you're saying is has gotten really kind of big in the Manosphere movements. I think a lot of young... Uh, impressionable people or you know, we've been taught like the fairy tale life and everything is fair and whatnot. And then we kind of get slapped in the face a couple times and we find these outlets and these people that kind of like show us like, Oh, this is what it's actually like behind, you know, the curtain. We're not playing, you know, patty cake and sunset and, and roses, you know, every day. It's like, we got to earn our shit, especially as a man. Yeah. I, I mean, I only saw a few Kevin Samuels snippets, the one that would go, the ones that would go viral. Um, but I spent most of my time growing up with my mom and my big sister. And so I think that had its pros and its cons. Uh, I felt like I had a better understanding of what women said they wanted. Um, but I don't know if that always aligns with, you know, what a real relationship looks like. I, I never saw that growing up. And so I think, yeah, like in my younger days, even up to the time I was, you know, 21, uh, it was always me trying to live that fairy tale Disney, like, this is what women want. Like, they want to be treated like queens and, you know, show them their worth and all these things. And then you get to a point, I think it was really like, you know, coming back here and after, after what had happened, it was just like, yo, like, that's not that's not realistic. And I think you have to, I, I felt like my best when I just worried about myself, I felt like when I showed love to myself, let's say that self love, I feel like that emanates outwards and women are like, I want it. I want it. I want it. Whereas when you make other people, the focal point of what you have going, it comes off as like thirsty and, and all these things. And it just, it doesn't set you up for success. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, everyone says it is. Uh, um, if you're not happy, you can't make other people happy. And I think that's like the umbrella term for kind of what we're discussing right now. But um, I think it's just really neat hearing. I think it happens to a lot of athletes, right? Where your um, viewpoint of yourself and what other people treat you like, you know, growing up, it, it all depends on the success, right? And when athletes stop playing this game or stop having success, then they have to reevaluate everything and be like, oh shit, I need to provide worth in other ways to, to get validation, to, you know, to get attention and to, to feel like I, I'm something. And obviously 
the point is not to make it so you need that to be happy from other people, but there's some deeper points to it about like as a man in society, especially nowadays, like you have to do shit. Otherwise you're going to be one of the 40% of the dudes who are 18 to 28 that haven't got laid. I mean, you see Japan, the birth rates are plummeting because these dudes sit in their room, they jerk off and they play video games. We're at a crisis right now for like men. Like they have no real role models out there. And then you got guys like um, an Andrew Tate that comes along and obviously he's going like hyperbolic, you know, to the extremes to get attention and whatnot. But then you gravitate towards that, which, you know, some can say is toxic. Right. Yeah. And people want to start living that lifestyle, which probably won't end up in the most happiest of, of places, even though I agree with a lot of what Andrew Tate says. But if they have no healthy role models in their life, you know, no father figures, men go fucking crazy. Right. They, they, they yeah. have these issues, these problems that they suffer from. And I think we're at a point now where this kind of this feminist um, takeover has made uh, men lose any sight of uh, like where they're going and what they need to do to be happy and fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could agree with you more. Um, it, it's just, it's delusional. And I think the the West, and I'll say the U.S. Uh, more specifically, like they, they're so impressionable, which is weird to me because everyone else is looking at the U.S. as the lead. Everyone else is going to follow the U.S. And so I think... Uh, I just had a conversation with with a girl from Morocco and she was saying how, you know, they pay attention to our elections and and, you know, they pay attention to all these things going on where in the U.S. And she's like, but you guys don't look at us. And she was really passionate about this. Like, you guys don't look at us. You only care about us, like yourselves. You want everything to be in feet and miles and gallons. And, you know, no, it just doesn't work like that. But. I said that to say, like, you know, everyone is looking at us and everyone is watching. And so when people see what people in the U.S. are doing, it's like, oh, well, maybe we should do that, too. And I think, you know, that that is one thing I've appreciated about Europe is I'm not being fear mongered every single day of my life when I turn on the TV or I turn on the radio or any of that. Like, I don't you know, I'm not hearing that or the, the propaganda that's going on in the U.S., I'm not getting that in Europe. Uh, and so that's something I appreciate. But I think this is controversial and I, I'm sure there'll be some backlash because, because of it. But, you know, this is bold perceptions. Um, and I think people have this idea that men and women are equal when in this, like, Men and women are not equal. And I, I believe that men and women are not equal. In a relationship, men and women should be treated with equal respect. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. But as far as are men and women equal? No. I, I just don't believe that. And so when you see this feminist movement about, you know, we're the same and we want the same things and you can't provide the same things. And so at the end of the day, you're not equal. But in a relationship, I... 100% believe that we should be treated with equal respect. And I think that's why you see super high divorce rates right now. And, you know, relationships are not staying the same because women have this idea that, you know, I can run the household and I can do these, you know, and it, I think we've lost that traditional value in the sense that, you know, men are masculine and women are feminine. And so when you start messing with this chemistry, whether it's from the chemicals or the propaganda or trauma, whatever it is that's causing this chemistry to be off. I mean, 
I, I feel like it's leading to a road of destruction. Yeah, hundred percent. Men want to be women and women want to be men now, or at least that's what we're being fed. And, uh, as in the the equal point, of course, men do things better than women and women do certain things better than men. And when they're cohesive and they do what is best, um, what they're best at, I think it is beautiful and it obviously creates awesome things. But, you know, like these quotes where they talk about the weak men, you know, they inherit the good society and they create the shitty one. And then uh, strong men are rose from uh, the ashes. But I view it and I've seen it like the last six months year is the pendulum is already swinging. Like it can only go so far and then it just goes flying back. And it's, it's always kind of like this. And my point of view, I used to be really like, Oh, this is, you know, stupid. And you guys need to think my way. And, and it is what it is, but it's going to do what it's going to do. Right. So I might as well benefit from whatever way this pendulum swings. As long as I feel I'm doing good as a person, I don't have no like bad guilt behind me and, and whatnot it is what it is and uh like the 48 laws of power said like you, you don't want to go against the mob completely right because then you're going to be like an alex jones you're going to be shipped off he's paying 140 million to the sandy hook thing um you're going to get just destroyed so it's just like you know say what you feel and stuff but also see where things are going and play off that a little bit so you can uh in the long run you know do what you want with it right and I'll say, like, you know, shout goes out to you in the sense that, you know, when I came to Berlin, um, I was like, bro, this is nothing like Poland. Like, take me back to Poland. You know, I'm sitting in the room feeling feeling sorry for myself because of how spoiled I was in Poland. And I looked at your page one day, I think through the, uh, the PFL posted something about Alvin, and then he posted you on his story. And I was like, oh, shit, it's Nick. Uh, and so I was looking at your page, and I was just like, Bro, I need to just get up and do something. Like, I'm out here. There's so much to see in Europe. Uh, and then I messaged you. You told me about the, the Sky Scanner plug. And I just got back from Barcelona yesterday. And, man, I mean, so, like I said, just taking my hat off to you for, you know, you for sure got me out of my uh, feeling sorry for myself slumber in, in Berlin. So, appreciate you for that. I appreciate that. And um, I think that always happens. I mean, sometimes it's a magical place when you first go there, but there's usually like a growing pain and you just need to get over that hump. And then you'll look back and be like, damn, this Berlin city. You know, I went to the club that was made of toilet seats and then I went to some uh, 24 seven sex orgy place. Like Ber Berlin is crazy. Like I don't necessarily want to live there, but this happens to me all the time when I first start traveling, like, damn, I miss Italy. Damn, I miss Mexico. I had this girl there, that girl there. I had this beach. I had my cafe. And then I get something better and better if I, if I don't bitch and cry and sit on the couch. Right. Okay. Okay. And I think that's something, that's something that you learn through experience. And so I'll never say like, damn, you know, I feel like I spent too much money on that or damn, I feel like I shouldn't have done that because in a sense, I don't feel like it was wasted. I feel like it, it's preparing me for, you know, if I'm in a situation like that again, I can now move this different way. But I think so many people want this this shortcut lifestyle and this what they see on social media of like, you know, I just want to be there right now. And I think that's unrealistic as well. And it and people suffer when their expectations aren't met. And that goes from the time you're a child to the time you're a full grown adult. Um, is, you know, 
it, it's a process. And I think people need to be patient with themselves um, and, and give themselves the same grace that they give other people is, you know, th these things take time, especially anything worth having takes time. And, and in some way, shape or form, your experiences will will set you up to, you know, to move the way you want to later on down the road. Hey, when I'm uh, when I'm talking, try to mute uh, your phone. I think the volume is clicking on me. Okay. Perfect. Uh, great points, and I mean, everyone knows this now. Social media is the biggest fake thing ever in the world, and uh, like you're exactly right. This last six months in in Bialystok in Poland, it was long, bro. And I kept thinking back, damn, I should be living La Dolce Vita in Italy. I can hop on a train right now. I can be in Venice. You know, I have my girlfriends back there. The weather is shitty, right? Uh, we practice way more than I ever practiced in Europe. And there's all these things. Like, there's a bunch of drama and a bunch of bullshit to, in the team. And, and then I look back at it. It's like, oh, my God, I got to experience this amazing society. I got to live like a king. You know, it was ridiculously cheap. I met some amazing, beautiful Polish people. And we won a freaking championship, right? Now I look back on that six months and I'm very grateful I went through it all. And it wasn't like it was all depression, right? I had a lot of happy moments. I had a lot of good times. But it wasn't – I was looking back at Italy like my life was high 24-7. It was never high 24-7 in Italy. I remember being bored and, and this is stupid and, and this girl ditched me and all these kind of things there. And uh, that's what you said, though, these expectations is – you know, people just they exactly they see a, an Instagram reel and they're like, wow, I, I would be happy if I was in that Instagram reel right now. When you know goddamn well that Instagram reel was taking like 30 different angles and shots and it took two hours to edit it and put the caption together. And but uh, th this is the society we live in now. Right. This the social media world. Everyone wants a quick drug, something to get them freaking high and feel like uh, something inside of them. Yeah, I mean. Like, like you said, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that. And I think I saw a quote and it was just like, people see the past as better than what it was and the future as less figured out than it will be. Uh, and I think the important thing is just to find whatever you can, whether it's meditation, whether it's, you know, immersing yourself in a foreign culture or country, uh, but do something that, that makes you stay present. Because I think that just allows you to, appreciate things so much more and I think that's that was another thing that made Poland so much better for me was I had no expectation of what playing ball in Europe was like and so it was I, it allowed me to appreciate it just for what it was whereas when I came to Berlin it was like oh well now my expectations Poland and I'm getting Berlin um, and so you know just finding finding ways to to stay present i think is what what allows wherever you are just to to be there to appreciate it to to be able to absorb so much more and and you know take it for what it is comparison is the thief of joy 100% so i want to ask you now what are you doing to stay present in in berlin i know you just took a a flight to barcelona to get away to refresh but you know, are you practicing what you're preaching or are you just, you know, throwing up bullshit you read online? Uh, I mean, in Barcelona, it was it was easy to stay present. Right. Uh, I learned Spanish in school. I took Spanish for six years uh, and Barcelona was like, I mean, the best way I could describe it is that dream that you have where you just never want to wake up. And then you wake up and you want to get back to that dream. 
Uh, I'll say my more recent time in Berlin has been better. Uh, I think having a schedule is important, some type of structure. Um, and it goes back to what I was saying before is just giving yourself some sense of purpose for that day. And I think if you can, you know, follow that, keep a schedule, kind of stay busy kind of thing, you have no choice but to, but to stay present. Um, because I think the more you sit and the more you think, it's just, to me, it's a waste, especially in Europe. Like, what are you doing sitting in your room? Like, you might not ever come back to this place again. You might as well just go go see what it is. And I think, you know, that is something that helps me. Of course, I have my moments where it's like, now it's like, shit, I want to get back to Barcelona. Like, what do I need to do to get back to Barcelona? Um, but, you know, I'm not here for much longer. And so, you know, I just want to kind of keep the ball rolling in, in, in that sense. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to sit in your room in Europe because they're freaking the size of a closet, of American closet, how tiny they got us living in these different places. I don't mind it. I've gotten very minimalistic and it forces me to be outside because I can't, I don't have a movie room and a, a bar and a huge five bedroom house in, in, in Europe. Uh, so Barcelona though. So I've been to Barcelona, I think it was what, three years ago. And I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. So it's interesting to me, right? Like you love it. It's the dream. And you, the way you're talking about it reminded me when I first went to Italy and I was taking the train through the countryside, going to city to city, just, just hopping off. And I really did feel like I was uh, in a movie. Like, this is where I belong. This is where my heart is, you know? And, but that's how you kind of felt about Bar Barcelona. So that, you know, it depends on the person, right? A hundred percent. And what clicks for someone might not click for the other people. I found this out as a traveler. A lot of the times it, it, this is cliche. It depends on the people you meet, right? Like I could meet someone in Bratislava, Slovakia and have one of the most amazing nights. And I look at that city like this is this, I need to go back. This is amazing. And someone else can go there. Like a lot of people do and say, this is a shithole. Why did I stop here from Vienna on the way to Budapest? Like, this is ridiculous. So it's uh, maybe the expectations. It's maybe the the people you meet. But um, I like what you said before. It's just being present. If somehow you can figure out how to be present, I think that's where happiness lies. I think, uh, like you know this, when you're in the zone, when you were throwing like five, six touchdown passes a game in Poland, you're not thinking about anything else, bro. You're just flowing in the moment, right? Like everything is clicking, and that's where happiness is. And you can find that, yes, through the meditation. You can find it through great sex. You can find it through... Uh, working out, you know, where everything is going outside of your head, right? You know, that's when I think we're at our most happiness is when we're fully in the moment outside of the brain. And like you said, you sit down and you start thinking too much. That's when you start comparing. And then you're like, oh, my expectations were this. And then you start feeling sad and, and all that bullshit. Yeah, I think uh, just one, one point I wanted to touch on that, that kind of, you know, piggybacks off what you're saying is, I think you were talking about being minimalistic before, uh, and I think that is something that, that absolutely encompasses the European lifestyle for most people. Of course, you have those people who are super extra and they, you know, they want to be like those characters they see on Netflix. Um, but I think in any given day, you have a certain amount of decisions that you can make, right? And, and so just like you see millionaires and billionaires, really the billionaires, um, you know, they dress in plain clothes or, or they, they have a, this 
plain Jane lifestyle. And of course they splurge on the things they want to splurge on planes and boats and shit like that, that, that are non-negotiables for them, but they spend their decisions in that day on the things that matter to them. And I, I think if you can find a way to limit useless decisions, uh, you don't have this feeling of being overwhelmed. And so that's something I had to work on during that down period for me was, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I don't need to go through my entire closet to figure out what I'm going to wear to the gym. Throw this on, throw that on. And now that's more decisions that I can make or better, more quality decisions that I can make later on in the day. Because, you know, as people, the later on in the day it gets, the more we're just like, fuck, I'm tired. And and we feel exhausted. And, and what they say at our gym is, you know, that's just decision fatigue. You've made so many decisions leading up to that point. Am I going to make a left at the stop sign or right? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? Whereas if you can just make it autopilot to where when you actually need that, that quality decision, when you actually need that energy, you have that in the bank. You're not running on credit. You, you know, it's, it's a debit transaction. Um, and so I think finding ways to limit bullshit, to limit things that, in the grand scheme of things don't matter will ultimately benefit you. And I think, you know, that's something that you see a lot in Europe, that the quality of life is like, you know, we care about the things that matter. The food is so much better. People don't care about what car you drive. People don't mind taking public transport. Like these are all things that in the U.S. it's like, oh, this chick won't talk to me if my if my ride's not nice. What will I look like getting off on the bus? What will I look like getting off on the train instead of, being able to use that decision or that uh, those resources on things that ultimately matter. Yeah. Like uh, the brain battery and whatnot. I, I totally agree with that. And I think the Europeans, and it's not necessarily by choice for a lot of them, but they are rich in experience and poor in uh, materialism. And this is why I always say is that if you can take the opportunity and the delusion, uh, uh, delusional confidence, and everything is big and bad from that USA mindset, but you live this Euro lifestyle, I think that's where you're like really complete, right? Because then you have, you can do anything you freaking want. Because a lot of Europeans can't, okay? A lot of Europeans are actually broke. Like they live decent lives. Like the Euro lifestyle has been set up really good through, I mean, plenty of welfare programs. Plenty of uh, taxpayer money that wasn't spent on military that was funded through uh, education and healthcare, and because the U.S. military protected them for so long after World War II. But if you can take the opportunity of the American, if you can take that kind of lifestyle and uh, focus on the minimalistic, uh, rich experience Euro lifestyle and combine the two, I think that's where you're going to live probably the best life you can definitely live. Yeah, I think I think it's about finding that sweet spot. Like you said, like you can people can bash America all they want. And of course, you know, we have our downfalls, but it is that that upbringing. It is that, you know, lifestyle that allows us to come over here. And I feel like live the way that that is almost like the their idea of the American dream, which is this weird paradigm in the sense that, you know, we're doing that. But over here. Uh, and I feel like, um, you know, like I said, it's just all these experiences that you look back and you're like, dang, why is America like this? 
And then you come over here and you're like, well, I can do stuff that you can't. And it's not like, it's not, it's not bragging or boasting, but it, it makes it all feel like it's worth it to you. And whereas, you know, you know, we might not know our, the European history, the way the people in Europe know it, or we might not, we, our healthcare might be different or the welfare might be different. Like when I was in Barcelona, they have like public places to get water, like it's free. We might not have things like that, right? But be, for instance, going to Barcelona, like one of my, te- like all of my teammates are like, oh, I can't afford to do that right now. Well, that's something where it's like, I'm over here living for free, getting money in my pocket, getting it, like, I can go do the things that I want to do out here. There's not, there's not anything out here where I've been like, ah, oh, man, I, I can't do that right now. I can't afford it. It's like, holy, wow, this is, this is luxury, right? And uh, however long the European season is out here, you know, it allows, it allows you to do so much more. And I think makes it feel like it was worth it. It wasn't all for waste, all the sacrifices that you made late nights, early mornings, uh, you know, studying for that test or, you know, whatever you had to go through, being able to come over here and, and put, show those things as, uh, you know, feeling like you couldn't imagine. Yeah. So kind of going back to, hold on, you're clicking a little bit. There we go. That toxic masculinity thing, it uh, goes in with the toxic American mindset that put the man on the moon, that made the dollar so strong, that made our economy so big, that made it so we can live the American dream now in Europe. Like you saw in Poland, how interested were people in you? Like, what's it like in America and this? And like, oh, you guys do it this way. And are you guys all movie stars? I mean, maybe not as much as they used to think because now with social media, they can see like, you know, firsthand day-to-day life in America, but all the shit our ancestors went through, all the shit our country went through to make us in the position we are today, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. Know what I mean? There's no other place in the history of humanity, unless you were born in European royalty or like a Roman emperor, would being born in America be not the best time to be born. The amount of opportunities, I don't care if you're black, purple, yellow, this and that, you still have a chance to do something. You still have a chance to be better off than 95% of the world's population out the gate, right? Out the fucking gate. You basically have that opportunity unless you're born with a bum leg or some crazy shit. And uh, I think that is, it goes to show like when Americans first start traveling, they rip America. Oh my God, we don't have free water in Barcelona. We don't have uh, utopia in Denmark and healthcare and all this shit and then they, they don't look uh, further past when, you know, my amiga in Barcelona, she makes 1,500 euros a month working, I think, 12 hours a day, six days a week. Her rent, she makes 1,500 euros a month. Her rent is 1,200 euros a month. And she has like a fucking one bedroom and a kitchen and maybe like a half bathroom or some shit. They don't see this reality, right? Like that, that doesn't happen really in the USA. Maybe a little bit more nowadays if you live like in a New York City and whatnot, but 80% of your money is going to rent? That's fucking crazy, right? And uh, so I just I just find it funny. Like uh, anyone that kind of bashes America, there's the, I've said it before, there's a scene in uh, Mad Men, you know, Don Draper, the, the ad agency in the, in the 60s, is uh, this intern and him are in the elevator, right? And this, he took one of the intern's idea and, you know, I think he, uh, he just threw it in the trash and he used his own idea and he got the sale and the intern was so mad at him, right? And the intern said, I have so many ideas, so that one doesn't matter. And he's like, great, I'm glad you work for me. You know, 
And then uh, leaving the elevator, the little intern says to Don Draper, you know, I feel so bad for you. And Don Draper looks at him. He's like, I don't even think about you. And that's USA versus the rest of the world for good and for bad. But I'd rather be that top dog than be the little dog always barking up the tree. Right. And I think uh, it's that sense of like competition that in the U.S. that breeds that success, that that idea of like, I have to be better than this person that ultimately allows you to take whatever it is you want to do to new heights. And I think, like you said, it's a blessing and a curse. Like people begin to think their identity is through whatever it is they do. Um, whereas the European, I feel like in Europe, I mean, I haven't been here as long as you, but it seems like their values are like family and their sense of identity is through, like I said, family and traditional values and things like that. Whereas in the U like in the U S it's like, no, I got to go get it. Like nothing's going to be handed to me. However, there's plenty of opportunity. And I think I see that a lot in the U S you know, unemployment and things of that nature are, are high, but it's like, bro, I see job listings everywhere on the corner. Like, if you want to if you want to do that you have the opportunity to do that if you want to work like you say you want to work well then there's work available like there's i feel like the opportunity in the us is is unmatched there's not there's not opportunity like that anywhere else and i think that ultimately is why people came early early in the 1900s uh, late 1900s that's why people are still trying to get to the us is because regardless of what you think the American dream is, it is the land of opportunity and whatever it is you want to find, like you can find. Yeah. I mean, you can go work a seasonal job for three months and go live down on uh, Playa del Carmen on a beach, um, pretty much like a King for nine months of the year, just work three months, you know, work pretty hard, you know, the USA, get that cash, bring it down, down one country down, you know, a couple thousand miles. You can live on the fucking beach. Everything is, is fine. I mean, to me, that's crazy. Now, where we are heading is I think we have lost that dog eat dog mindset. Okay. I, I think we have lost the pull your bootstraps up, you know, and let's just take everything and give me stimulus checks and, you know, let me have eight kids and I'll get the welfare shit and all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, there's a lot of theory behind this and I'm not some economic major, but you know, about what extreme capitalism turns into kind of like um, uh, corporate uh, uh, socialism. And then it, it breeds into, Supposedly Marx was saying like late stage capitalism can turn into like a communist utopia. And that would be great. You know, if our capitalism innovated so much, we had robots that did everything for us and we could focus on, you know, creating art and, and literature and all that kind of shit. But guess what? We had that basically during the pandemic, right? We had stimulus checks. We had all this kind of shit. People sat in their ass. They watched TikTok. They got fat and they got depressed. So obviously maybe there is something to, you know, work will set you free. And I know that was, um, actually a uh, slogan in uh, the Auschwitz. I was down in Krakow in the concentration camp because the Germans are really about like that work shit, right? I, I don't know if you noticed that in Germany. It's like, I'm going to get my shit done. I'm going to be technical and, and, and whatnot. But uh, there is something to say about, you know, relating it back to the beginning about being a man and about what we need to be fulfilled. And it is about suffering. It is about succeeding. It is about competing. You know, it is about all those things. We can't just... You know, I've done it a lot. I've laid on the beach with pretty women and it gets very old, very quick. I need to build something. I need to do bold perceptions. I need to play football. I need to be part of a team and and win and, and beat other people. Like that's what's in my blood. 
It's what my ancestors did. My ancestors came over on a fucking boat, right? They went into Ellis Island. A lot of them died. I had um, from Ireland uh, a little boy that ended up getting sent to the reservation. He grew up in a fucking teepee until he's 40 years old. Now look at me. Now I'm traveling the world, doing whatever the fuck I want because my ancestors built all this stuff for me. They allowed me to get to this point to do all this and, and see all this. So we're missing that in the USA right now. And I think we need shit like this and people like, uh, you know, even the Andrew Tate, if people don't like them, we need that pendulum to swing to get dudes to stop being bitches because that's what they're being. They're being little girls. They want everything handed to them. And what do you mean? You should come over and fuck me because uh, I'm me. No. You need to be someone to get fucked, ass. I mean, come on. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm getting ranty right now. Too many Spanish beers. No, you're preaching, though. Uh, I think there's, there was a German philosopher that we went over in philosophy, Friedrich Nietzsche. And he talks about that inherently men uh, have this, this uh, feeling that or this desire for power. Uh, if I can, if I can rule you, if I can be over you, if I can beat you, I will. And it's only when I can't get that, that we settle for equality. And I think you see that a lot. That's, that's why governments are formed is because, you know, this guy gets too powerful and I can't beat you by myself. Uh, and so I need to go get Nick and, and Jerry and, and Billy and all out. If I all with them, then you can't rule over me. Right. Um, but I do think when we can exercise that power, when we can exercise our might, we will. And we, we have this desire to want to, uh, I guess, whether you will or not, it is up to you. Um, but I think, like you said, we, we have this desire to dominate other people. And there's something to be said about that feeling of, of beating someone, of dominating someone of, I don't want to say humiliating someone, but you know, maybe a little younger, a year ago, I wanted to humiliate you. Every single time I, I got on the field, every single time I was in the weight room, whatever it is I, I, I was doing, I want to assert my dominance so you not you know that I'm, you know, I'm not to be fucked with. I'm not, this isn't a play thing for me. Like, this is, this is how I approach life. This is how I approach the things that I do with this sense of purpose. And if I'm going to do something, I'm all in. And I think too many people are trying to be half in, half out. Uh, and, you know, just I, I was brought up to if you're going to do something, do it 100 percent. And I think that came with trying to win, trying to dominate, trying to be the best. Um, and I think, you know, it's taken you and I to, to places like this where we can, you know, play football, uh, see all these these beautiful places in Europe. Um, and it's almost like knocking out two birds with one stone. Right. Like I saw football growing up as this this means as a means to gather resources to do the things that I wanted to do, take care of my family, uh, you know, travel the world. Traveling is something that I was already passionate about. But wait, now you're telling me that I can travel the world and play football and see all these things on someone else's dime? Okay, <laughs> sign me up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, however many American imports these guys get, like the competition over here isn't what it is in the States. But it also means that I'm not, you know, devoting X amount of hours to the task either. And I'm, I'm traveling, right? Now, is this work going to take care of my family? No, it's not. But while I'm 22 years old, does it allow me something better than sitting on the couch or 
you know, grudging to go to this nine to five every single day? Absolutely. Well, you got to think too, the stuff you're going to learn from these experiences, the people you're going to meet will probably set you up in the future for success. Just like uh, going all into football allowed us to have all these different opportunities that we never would imagine, right? It's the same thing like this. If you go all in on it, there's going to be different avenues that open up different uh, ways of life that you're going to find. Like for me, you know, I wanted to be a freaking Gordon Gecko in a, um, a big ass desk in Minneapolis and drive a Ferrari and stunt on all the people from my hometown. Know what I mean? Now I look at that life. I say, damn, that's a small life. Now I'm, you know, doing whatever the hell I want in Portofino and, and I'm in Florianapolis, Brazil, you know, all my girlfriends in Mexico, like, I'm like, this is a lot more exciting than, you know, wearing a, a Rolex in, in Minneapolis and driving a Ferrari. But I got to hit these points that you were talking about with the power thing. And that is the natural instinct of a man, right? It's the sperm shit. Like our little sperm beat out, you know, billions of other sperm to impregnate and become a man. And throughout human history, it has been about survival to fit. Okay. It has been about war. It has been about spreading your genes as far as they possibly go. But as you develop as a civilization, as you develop as people, I look to um, Denmark and I look to towards Scandinavia, right? The Vikings, some of the toughest motherfuckers ever, raped and pillaged all over Europe or in North Africa. I mean, just badasses, you know, went to um, America, uh, you know, Greenland, did all the, those different kind of things. They were like the pinnacle of masculinity. They took what they wanted. You know, they said, fuck you. This is ours now, right? But then as time developed, They'd be like, okay, maybe this isn't super sustainable being hyper masculine. Maybe we need some feminine type aspects of creating a culture and, um, you know, grooming and uh, our, our people underneath us and creating a good environment of safety and security for this to be prosperous. And they did. They built literally utopia. There's no civilization on earth that has got to the extent as the Scandinavian culture. Maybe not recently. You know, there's issues in um, Sweden and whatnot. But they got to the point where they had free everything, right? Everything was clean. Everything was safe. They didn't care about just the individual. They didn't care just about the family, the community. They cared about the country, every day, right? If you don't work, you get paid good money. But you're going to go find a job. You're not going to be a lazy-ass person, right? You can walk home at 5 o'clock in the morning. Nothing's ever going to happen to you. Free healthcare, free education. And I think that's what happens is you channel this masculinity into, I think it was, what, Lincoln? Someone said this, like, okay, hey. Give uh, a man power, then you'll figure out who he actually is, right? Because when a man has power, if all he's going to do is keep humiliating people and keep putting down people and not build up his community and people around him to make his uh, society safer for him, his family, everyone else, then that man has got some, you know, he needs to work on his hyper toxic masculinity, right? It's like Caesar to, to handle the civil war. He uh, was furious with um, the Egyptian, the Pharaoh, that was a client state of Rome. Little boy and Cleopatra, he teamed up with Cleopatra. And I think he killed the little boy that was at the head of the seat because they killed Pompey because they thought Caesar would be happy that they killed his rival. And he said, the fuck? That's a council of Rome. I don't give a fuck if you're a Pharaoh from a thousand year old bloodline. We run you. And you killed a council of Rome and they killed him, right? Because Caesar wanted peace, right? He won. He conquered everyone else. But he knew for a society to be functional, it can't be just run on constant war and terrorization, right? And that's why he created, I mean, arguably the greatest civilization that ever existed. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we've grown as a society and as you grow as a man, it's not, 
what can I, who can I dominate more so as it's like, what can I do today to, you know, dominate whatever it is I'm doing? How can I be the best at what it is I'm doing? And so I think it's important to find healthy ways to channel this masculinity, healthy ways to lead as a man and, and do these kinds of things. And I think that's, that's an important point to touch on is what is a healthy way that I can express this innate uh, feeling inside of me without, I don't want to say stepping on the toes of others because sometimes, you know, people are, are sensitive today and it's, you know, oh my gosh, you offended me. Oh my, like who gives a fuck about shit like that? But as far as, you know, in a respectful way, being able to do the things that you want to do and live the life that you want to live. Because now I think, you know, so many, so many people talk about, well, well, they're doing this and they're doing this and everyone wants to point the finger at what everybody else is doing um, instead of just focusing on themselves and living the life that they want to live. Um, and, and as I said before, that it, it's open to you. If you want it, go get it. Like no one's going to give it to you. Uh, it's not about what the person next to you is doing. Like just run your own race at whatever, whatever pace that may be, but do it to the best of your ability. And I think, you know, maybe that's a reason why we want to, you know, we want this competition is, is because it gives us a way to measure ourselves. And so I think seeing how you measure up to other people or other obstacles uh, is an easy way to do that. But I think challenge yourself, find other ways to, you know, test your limits, to push the envelope and, you know, to take it to new heights. As, as a man, I do feel it is your job to lead. So at some point, you know, you have to think about, you know, whoever it is, your family, your significant other, your your parents. Um, but, you know, all these people have equal opportunity to a certain extent as well. So don't get hung up on on trying to provide for other people uh, when they if, if they have the same opportunities as you. Now, if you bring a child into this world or, you know, you have people younger than you, then absolutely. You know, I do feel like it's your job to to lead these people and lead them, give them give them an opportunity. Um, but, you know, that's that, I, I think it's important to lead. It's important to, you know, take the initiative.